It's great to be here with you tonight. I hope you enjoyed that testimony. Uh, I'm reminded of uh, John's words in Revelation. It says, Satan's defeated by the blood of the lamb and in the word of our testimony. There's something powerful about hearing what God does in someone else's life and, and encourage us that if God's working in another and he values all of us, then guess what? He, he's wanting to work in our life too. And that invitation is already there for all of us. And it's really at the core of our series we're in. Uh, we're calling this series, The Journey. And we're looking at, if you will, uh, four very crucial steps in our relationship with God. The very first week we looked at the first step. And, and, and let me just say from the, from, the, from the beginning that all of our journeys with God are unique and, and we understand that. And so these steps are sort of crucial steps that are, that are similar to all of us that God invites us into with him, understanding that our, our relationship with God has that uniqueness because we're unique people and God loves us in our uniqueness. But that first step is believe. And we looked at the fact that that, that, that step is, is really entering into a saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And, and that we as believers partner with Jesus in helping people take that step as we reach them with his love and, and with his message. The second step is really to, to be raised up. And we as believers are called to raise one another up in the knowledge of what it means to belong to God in his kingdom. That when we step into this relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we are, we are brought into God's forever family, his church. And, and if you remember that week, I said, like it or not, when you said yes to Jesus, you said yes to me being your brother. And, and so you got to sort of deal with that. And the church can be messy because we're a mess, but God is so sacred and so good at, at working in our midst and, and out of that mess, bringing something very beautiful. The second thing that we as a church are called, and when I talk about church, I don't mean crosswinds. I mean, we, we as followers of Christ are called to do is help raise each other up in, the, in what it means to become, to become the person that God has created us to be, to really pursue our, our preferred destiny with Jesus. And, and so that's what we're going to look at tonight, this, this becoming. So, so I'm taking for granted, we understand what does it mean to believe? What does it mean to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ? And, and taking for granted that we understand that, that we do belong to him and his church when we take that step to believe. But, but God has so much more for us. That when we come to Jesus, he accepts us as we are. Praise God. But, but he says, don't expect to stay there. And for so many believers, they come to Jesus, they say yes to him, and then that's it. They go back to their old way of doing things. And Jesus says, no, I have something so much more for you. And, and so last week, we looked at a prayer of Jesus recorded in John chapter 17. We're, we're still going to be in that prayer. We're going to look at some verses, several verses uh, right before the verses we looked at last week. So if you have your Bibles or your app or following the screen, we'll be in John chapter 17. But I again want to give us context. You'll remember John 13 starts with Jesus in the upper room with his disciples. And in John 13, he washes the disciples' feet, and then he also institutes the new covenant in his blood. In John 14 through 16, he, he gives some encouraging words and sort of these final instructions uh, of what they should be thinking about and, and living and, and embracing the things of God. And then in John 17, he prays what we call his high priestly prayer. He prays, and then Jesus goes to face betrayal, rejection, and death for which he came into the world. Christ's high priestly prayer is one long prayer. It's, it's the longest continuous prayer recorded in the Gospels. And, and as we looked at last week, what's really moving is this. 
is that when Jesus prayed this prayer, we were on his heart. That he doesn't just pray for the disciples who were there in the upper room, he literally prays for disciples who would come after them. And because of their testimony, 2,000 years ago, this prayer was, was prayed over us. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that remarkable, actually? It's just moving to me. And so here we are, John chapter 17, 13 through 19, Jesus' high priestly prayer, at least a section of it. And this is what he prayed. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that, they may, that my joy may be fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Verse 18. As you sent me into the world, so I, sent, I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in the truth. Jesus really makes two very powerful requests for us, his followers, in this section of the prayer. And the first request is this. Jesus asks that we become like him, filled with joy. That we become like him, filled with joy. So we've read through the passage. Let's sort of dissect it a little bit. Let's look at it a little more closely. He prays what? But now I am coming to you. And Jesus is praying to God the Father. Now I'm coming to you. And in his prayer, he's, he's recognizing that soon his work on earth would be accomplished. And Jesus prays a caring prayer that they may have my joy in themselves. He, he deeply cares for his followers. And if you're a follower of Christ, he deeply cares for you. And if you've yet to receive Christ, he certainly definitely cares for you. That you may be sitting here tonight feeling like you're far from God, but let me tell you, you're very close to his heart. That God loves us. And so Jesus prays that joy would be fulfilled, would actually invade our lives. See, Jesus' life was filled with joy. Now, don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean that he didn't know sorrow and grief. He did. But sometimes we think of joy as, as needing to be absent from sorrow and absent from grief. It's not. Joy is something we can have in the midst of turmoil. Joy is something we can have in the midst of chaos. And, and I dare say that Jesus had this joy this dissatisfaction of life greater than any other person who's ever lived on the earth and ever will. Think about it. Christ's joy was rooted in unbroken fellowship with God the Father. His joy was, was the fruit of his true faith and confidence in the Father. Christ's joy came from seeing the great things God had done. His joy was never diminished by his own sin because he never had any sin. And Christ's joy was never diminished by allowing even the smallest foothold of the enemy, the devil. He had this joy because he was completely connected with the Father and the Father was con completely connected with him. Jesus was so concerned with our welfare that he prays that the joy that he has would fill us. And God's purpose, think about it, is to multiply joy in our lives, not to subtract it. And we know that, that the world, the flesh, and the devil would love to tell us that God really is nothing but a cosmic killjoy. You've heard that, right? That the Bible's just filled with a bunch of do's and don'ts. 
and, and, and they're all in there because he doesn't want you to, to, to get what you can out of life. And I just want to pose to you that God really wants joy filled in our lives and that we must be careful. We must be careful not to fall into the trap of believing that something forbidden by God would ever bring fulfillment and joy in our life. That's the lie, right? That God says, don't do this because if we do it, we're going to find what? Joy. If we do something he says not to do. Do you remember how that happened in the garden? God said, you can eat of any tree you want. Just don't eat of that one. Every tree. And the enemy says to, says to Adam and Eve, what? He says, God didn't really say don't eat of that tree. He just doesn't want you to become like him. But they desperately wanted to become like him. And so they did which was forbidden and sin entered into the world. And, and still today, when we do things that, that are outside God's perimeter of safety, that's spelled out in his word, it puts us in, in, in very treacherous waters. And many of you could give testimony after testimony uh, of the reality of that. We must be careful not to fall into the trap of believing something forbidden by God would ever bring us joy and fulfillment. In verse 14, we read, I have given them your word. Jesus faithfully delivered the word from God the Father to his disciples. Now when he's talking about the word there, the, the word Christ has given us is not merely oral teaching, although we have that recorded in scripture, but it's the whole revelation of God evident in his words, acts, and personality. In other words, Jesus is the word of God. The word became flesh, we're told in John chapter one. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. If you want to know what God's word is all about, just look at what Jesus is all about. If you want to know what it looks like to be a follower of Christ, what sort of the, the example is, just look at who Jesus is. You say, well, I'm not perfect. Jesus is perfect. No, but Jesus does the work of perfecting us in him. That's what the becoming is all about. And you've heard me say this so many times. I, I, I'm not what I ought to be, but I thank God I'm not what I used to be. Anyone have that testimony here tonight? <laughs> he, he's still working on me. I'm a work in progress, but I'm, 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 I'm aiming at it. Like Paul wrote, I'm aiming at it. And by the power of his spirit, I'm becoming more and more like Jesus. And so Jesus prays this. And I think sometimes we, we hear this part of the prayer and we go, man, I wish he prayed a little differently. <laughs> Who are we to say that, all right? Jesus prays, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. How many times have you had one of those days and said, Lord, this would be a good time to take us up? There's some people with some poor theology who thought when we said yes to Jesus, he should have taken us up right then, right? I said, yes, get me out of this place, right? <coughs> but Jesus doesn't desire for us to isolate ourselves from the world. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? As much as we need to be wise and, and not let the world influence us, we should be influenced of the world. He doesn't call us to isolate ourselves. And, and there have been movements within God's church since Jesus ascended into heaven that has tried to isolate themselves from the world. There are some who, who went out into the desert, you know, figuring no one will follow us here and we'll have a holy community and, and we'll be everything God wants us to be. And yet the reality of it is, it, it, God said, Jesus prays, I didn't take them, don't take them out of the world, just protect them from the evil one. What's he really praying for us? He's saying we, we need to live in the world, but not to be a mirror of its chaos and poor choices or influenced by the enemy, the devil. Instead, we should live in the world as witnesses and reflecting Christ. Think about that. Jesus has his followers remain in the world to complete the work he has given us to do. 
the work of sharing his love and message with the world around us in the hope that they too will find salvation in Christ. Another way of looking at it is Jesus didn't pray to take us out of the battle, but that in the midst of the battle, we'd be strengthened and protected. That really when we think about it, that as believers, he calls us to have our feet firmly on this earth and our heart filled with heaven. That God's kingdom will come, his will be done on earth as is in heaven, in our life and in the places in which we live. But God literally says, bring my peace into the chaos. Be representatives of my peace in the chaos that's all around you. And then he prays, they're not of the world just as I'm not of the world. And we're not. Just as Jesus is not of the world, he is in us. We're not of the world. Jesus calls us as followers to be who we really are in him. Think about that. As Christians, we're to be witnesses to God's love. Therefore, we're not taking out of the world, yet we're to know his joy by being filled with the very presence of God and have the confidence that we have the protection of the Lord in our life. Jesus asks that we become like him, filled with his joy. 2,000 years ago, he prayed that over us tonight. And so if you want to know what God wants for you, that's what he wants for you. He wants you to be able to live life to the fullest and experience the joy that Christ himself has. And then Jesus has a second request for us. Jesus asks that we become like him, sanctified. Jesus prays, what? Sanctify them in the truth. Now, sanctify means to be set apart for God It implies the very workings of the Holy Spirit in our life, the life of a believer, to make us more and more like Christ in character. That's why I say again, I'm not what I ought to be, but I thank God I'm not what I used to be. I'm a work in progress. But as the Spirit of God works in me, he's making me more and more like Jesus. Now, interesting enough, Jesus didn't leave his disciples to sanctify themselves. He prayed for our sanctification, And that needs to be something that we understand because I don't know about you, but if you're a driven personality, then it's easy to come to Christ and know that we need him for salvation, but then think we don't need him for sanctification. That that we need him in order to have a right relationship with God, but then it's like from here on out, I think I got this. And if you've ever tried it, you realize you don't. That that's this idea of being made like Jesus, that's what sanctification is. Again, it's being set apart for God and implies the work of the Holy Spirit to, to move in us, to give us more and more of the character of Jesus it is a work of God. Sanctification is a work of God in us and through us. More completely stated, Jesus prays, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The dynamic behind sanctification is truth. This truth spoken of is the very word of God, read and, and heard and, and, and understood and, and applied. It, it's the hearing of the word. It's not just the hearing of the word. Oh, it's, it's the doing of it, right, that makes it a reality. Hearing it and doing it, living it, allowing the spirit to allow the very word of God to fill us. I pray this over myself. I have for years. I pray it for you as a church that as we seek to master God's word, his word will master us. That our lives will just be more in alignment with the word of God, which means we're more in alignment with who Jesus is. Not because we have to, but because we get to. Not not because he's waiting for us to trip up, but because he's given us this ability to succeed. And when we fall, the graces say, get back up, let's do this thing. Let's, let's, Let's go for it. I've got so much for you. 
The primary way the Holy Spirit sanctifies us is through the very word of God, the Bible. And so you may have heard me say, you know, God uses, the spirit of God uses the word of God we know, not the word we don't know, to form us into the image of Christ. And so we get into his word. And the spirit uses that word in, in such powerful ways. The 19th century British preacher, Charles Spurgeon, explained. You say, you used Spurgeon last week. Well, I've been reading after Spurgeon, so, so that's why. But he wrote, the more truth you believe, the more sanctified you will be. The operation of truth upon the mind is to separate a man from the world unto the service of God. It's interesting, you know, 27 plus years of pastoral ministry, people come to my office and ask for my advice and I always start usually by saying, what's the word of God telling you? And a lot of times I get a look and it's like, well, you tell me what the word of God's telling me. I go, no, why don't you tell me what the word of God's telling you? And then I can be a brother in Christ and help you discern what that means in your life. Much of life isn't as complicated as we want it to be, or at least as we try to make it. We listen and we obey. Now the obeying isn't easy, but the formula is. You follow what I'm saying? We read the word, we say, Spirit, give us direction here. And then he gives it to us, then it's the hard part. Do we say yes or maybe, or I'm just not hearing you clearly. Ever been there? Lord, you want me to share with that person? Maybe I'm not hearing you clearly. I got to pray about it, you know? Prayer is a powerful thing unless it's an excuse. All right, that's a free, I didn't plan on saying that. This is not even in my notes. Then Jesus prays, you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. And so it's interesting. So Jesus is praying the second request, right? That we be like him sanctified. And he talks about sanctification. And then right there in that verse, he talks about service and he sandwiches it between another verse we're gonna look at where he talks about sanctification. Now, now why is that? Well, because the sanctification Jesus has in mind here is not just personal holiness, not just us personally reading the word of God and, and, and thinking Christ's thoughts, although that's part of it, but it's also being set apart for God's service and mission. See, I don't believe you can really truly be a disciple if you're not making disciples. You say, well, how can you say that? Because disciples make disciples. That's what Jesus said. I was sent, I'm sending you. In, in essence, think about it. What Jesus is calling us to is to live sent lives, S-E-N-T, sent lives. That every day we realize we're being sent, we're on a mission. That's why when people say to me, tell me what God's perfect will is for my life, I go, I don't know what your secondary purpose is because all of us have different secondary purposes, but I know what everyone's primary purpose is. And that's to know God and make him known. Now you may in your secondary purpose be, be knowing God and making him known as a teacher or as a mom or, or, or a dad or as a friend or, or as a coworker, whatever your, 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 your job is or your career. And, and yet this primary mission is to live sent lives. Believers aren't to remain in the world because there's nothing else to do. But because what he's called us to do is to know him and make him known. That, that, that his message and his love would be seen in the world around us. And again, I borrow these words from Spurgeon. He said, Christ was the great missionary, the Messiah, the sent one. We're the minor missionaries <laughs> sent out into the world to accomplish the Father's will and purpose. Jesus came to seek and save the lost and we're called to seek and save the lost to continue that mission. Now, the difference is this, we're no one's savior. By the way, that takes a load off me. 
We're no one's savior, but we are called to point people to Jesus who is. Then Christ returns to sanctification. What does he pray? He says, and for their sake, I consecrate myself. That's sort of an interesting thing for Jesus to pray because Jesus is perfect. So how does someone perfect sanctify themselves? Does it mean that they're not already sanctified? Absolutely not. What Jesus is, is really saying is I'm getting ready to complete the work on the cross. This finished work on the cross where the sins of the world are taken care of. He, he's talking about this finished work that they may be sanctified by the truth. Well, I need to die for them to know the truth. And so the fourth century early church father and archbishop of Constantinople, Chrysostom said this about this. He said, when Jesus said, I sanctify myself, what he was saying is I offer myself as a sacrifice. Isn't that beautiful? But the scriptures over and over and over tell us that God has the ability to resurrect something beautiful out of death. And when Jesus died on the cross, how ironic that his death brought life to those of us who receive him. That, that's the love, the power of the miracle of God. And Jesus says, as I, as I offer myself as a sacrifice, that Jesus died for our sins on the cross, has been risen for our salvation. Why? So we can be in right relationship with God through him. Then by the power of the Holy Spirit, be empowered to live rightly becoming more and more like Jesus. The joy and protection of Christ that he asks for us, his followers, comes through the workings of the Holy Spirit in our life where we're, where we're empowered by the Spirit in us, that, that Jesus sanctified himself to death so that his prayer for all believers might become a reality. Like, it's sort of interesting, because we pray things and we go, Lord, I hope that's your will. Jesus always prayed God's will, so everything God, Jesus prayed is to be fulfilled. Think about it. That means when Jesus says, I want him to be like me, filled with his joy, guess what's possible? When Jesus says, I, I, I pray that they be like me, sanctified, on mission with me, guess what's possible? He prays it knowing it's possible. But what comes first? Salvation comes first, then sanctification. And we can really get ourselves in trouble when we think, I just got to clean myself up so I can come to God. It doesn't work that way. First comes freedom, then the ability to walk as one who is free. Because we need the Spirit's power. We need his working in our life. Jesus asks that we become like him, filled with joy, that we become like him, sanctified in life and mission. First, let me say this. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit is already in your life. The scripture tells us that when we say yes to Jesus, the Spirit fills us. Now there's a reality that there needs to be a displacement that occurs in order for the Spirit's power to be working in our life. You go, what, what do you mean by displacement? A boat does not sink because you put it into the water. At least not one that works. It would defeat the purpose. A boat only begins to sink when water comes into the boat. And, and so we're filled with the Spirit of God when we say yes to Jesus, but his power is only released in us as we bow to his leading. As we learn to hear his voice. As we don't just hear, but, but obey. Billy Graham liked to teach this. He said, it's helpful to think of the work of the Spirit in you like a fence around the house. There's two purposes for a fence, right? You can open it and let people in or shut it and keep people out. 
And spiritually, our lives are like this gate. Inside our lives are all sorts of things that are wrong and unpleasing to God. And we need to let these things out, but we also need to let the spirit to have control in our lives. When we say yes to Jesus, we let the spirit in. Now here's the problem. We really don't have the power to open or close the gate. That's the problem. Romans chapter seven, Paul talks about that struggle. He says, why is it that the things I don't want to do, I do, and the things I want to do, I'm not doing? Ever live that life? And he gives us the answer toward the end of that chapter. He says, the answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord, that when we come to him, there's a spiritual exchange that takes place. He takes our sin and fills us with his spirit. And so what do we do? We surrender ourselves to the Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can do the work of opening and shutting the gate. As we yield to him and look to him for fullness, he not only comes in, but he begins to thrust out all the stuff that we don't want, all the junk that sin has brought into our life, out. The Spirit controls the gate. And as he controls the gate and as he begins to, to clean house, so to speak, what happens is we have more and more of a Christ-like attitude. We live more and more with Christ-like motives. We live more and more with, with Christ-like love. In short, like Christ, we're filled with joy and sanctified in mission with him. The Holy Spirit wants us to bear fruit and more fruit and more of his fruit. God wants to fill us with joy overflowing and he wants us to be filled with his fruit and more fruit and more fruit. Here at Crosswinds, we take this invitation of God very seriously. It's why we're spending four weeks talking about our discipleship pathway. But I want to take a moment. I asked our, our community life pastor, Chris Taylor, and our creative arts director, Ryan Samuels, if they would just work on a video to show our, our discipleship pathway. Every church has a unique way in which they talk about these four things. If you look up at the screen, you get a feeling for how we talk about it here at Crosswinds. Every single human being is on a spiritual journey. And while all of our spiritual journeys are unique, they are ultimately driven by an innate desire to know God and make him known. Along this journey, there are some common milestones that we all eventually arrive at. At Crosswinds, we call these series of milestones the Discipleship Pathway. Let's explore what that looks like in a bit more detail. Typically, our spiritual journey begins with a curiosity about God, a recognition that something important is missing from our lives. The most common environment in which people explore this curiosity about God is the worship gathering. And it's at this first milestone along the discipleship pathway that most people choose to believe in God to invite God into our lives and begin a relationship with Him. It's through this relationship with God that we can live the life of freedom, fullness, and faithfulness found only in Jesus Christ. Now, after we consistently spend time participating in the worship gathering, something may begin to stir in us, a desire to grow closer to God. And this desire is driven by a need to belong, to truly belong to Christ and His church. This growing sense of belonging often leads us to the next major milestone on the discipleship pathway, serving on a ministry team. Our growing belief in God will lead us to recognize that there is more to belonging to Christ and His church than merely attending a worship gathering once a week. And it's while serving on a ministry team that many people first experience a closer connection with other believers. 
As our belief in God intensifies and our sense of belonging deepens, we will experience a desire to grow even closer to God, to become more and more like the person He created us to be. This often leads us to the next milestone on the discipleship pathway, joining a small group. Small groups are an even tighter-knit community of believers offering encouragement and accountability to one another. It's part of God's plan for His church that we journey with others so we can help one another become more and more like the person God created us to be. And small groups are often the catalyst that helps us move on to the next major milestone in the discipleship pathway, one-to-one discipleship. Through one-to-one discipleship, two people connect over an extended period of time to explore what it looks like to become a disciple who makes disciples. All of these milestones help us reach the last major milestone on the discipleship pathway, time alone with God. Participating in a worship gathering, serving on a ministry team, plugging into a small group, and growing through one-to-one discipleship can help us enter into a more consistent and intentional time alone with God. And it's ultimately God who transforms us, makes us new, and calls us to bless others. And so our journey continues. But now we see ourselves circling back around the discipleship pathway as we partner with God to reach people with the love and message of Jesus Christ, raise others up to live the life of freedom found only in Him, and release people to pursue their full kingdom potential. Through intentional and consistent time alone with God, He equips us to bless someone through one-to-one discipleship, no longer as the disciple, but as the disciple maker. We may then find ourselves recognizing the need to multiply close-knit communities by helping launch new small groups as a small group leader. As we continue to become more and more like the person God created us to be, we begin to step into leadership roles on our serving teams and help others find a place to serve. And finally, we realize that the worship gathering is not just the time to spectate, but an opportunity to connect with those who are curious about God and help them take the step to believe in Him. As we journey along the discipleship pathway, God becomes the center of our lives as we actively engage in our highest calling, our greatest purpose in life, which is to know God and make Him known. It's a simple pathway, but not an easy one. Uh, And it's not always as clean as it spells out. You know, sometimes we enter with a small group or maybe maybe, uh, we're we're exploring the word ourselves and then we we find ourselves uh, being introduced to Jesus. And so it's not always as as clean as it looks up on the screen, but but it gives you an idea of of what we're about here at Crosswinds. If you've been here for a while, you know we've been about that for a long time. Uh, We really do believe that God calls us to enter into a saving relationship with him through Jesus Christ. If you haven't done that, I I just pray tonight you would consider maybe doing that. Don't put it off. No decision is a decision when it comes to that. That we do belong to God in his church, that we're we're called to become, and part of that becoming is is really doing life together and and, and serving together in a small group together, one-on-one, our time alone with God. There's nothing more important than our personal relationship with God from which everything else we do flows. 
And so any way we can help each other do that, we want to. If you need more information, all you need to do is stop out at Crosswind Central, whether online or out at the coffee shop. We have some information for you. Uh, I'd be up front after service. Love to talk to you more about how, how to connect in those things. But wherever you find yourself tonight, here's the question. What is the next step God's calling you to take with him? And whatever it is, let's say yes. Let's say yes. Let's be an answer to Jesus's prayer for us that he prayed nearly 2,000 years ago. Filled with his joy. Sanctified, living on mission with him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much just for the ability to, to come here tonight, to be able to put your glory on display, whether it be through um, just sitting next to someone, maybe encouraging them tonight, hearing the testimony up on the screen, singing praises to your name, exploring your word. I pray, Father, that for someone who may be here even tonight and says, I don't even know if I believe in God, that they would leave here confident that those of us who claim to believe in you certainly do, <laughs> but they would see it evident in our lives. God, that perhaps there's even someone here tonight who's yet to make that decision who would say yes to you, receiving you as Lord and Savior. God, may we leave here tonight, those of us who know you, um, knowing we belong, committed to becoming, and part of what it means to, to, to reach and release people as we're gonna look at next week, to be a blessing to the world around them. God, thank you for your profound love. Thank you for your word to us. Thank you for this beautiful prayer you prayed over. This is prayer that you prayed knowing it would be fulfilled in your name. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we do pray, amen.